Imagine, it's the late 1980s. You're in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, which has been under communist rule for decades. You and a local friend are in Battenberg Square, praying fervently for the freedom of Bulgaria and the end of communist tyranny. In particular, you make a point of walking in circles around the idolatrous white marble mausoleum at the center of the square, the final resting place of Georgi Dimitrov, the tyrannical founder of Bulgarian communism. Turning towards the massive government headquarters that loom above the street, the two of you raise your hands and proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that the powerful Marxist regime must bow. It's a risky move, and not at all the kind of thing you would have imagined yourself doing just a few days ago. Earlier that week, you'd been praying over a world map at your home in Amsterdam when you heard God tell you to pack your bags and fly to Bulgaria. So you did just that, without any idea what you'd do once you got there. But stepping off the plane in Sofia, you had suddenly heard your name and turned to see a man jumping up and down and waving. God, he explained, had told him you would be coming today. And so the man had greeted every plane that arrived that day. After a late night of Bible study and prayer, you and your new friend had gotten up early and headed for the square. Now six hours of public prayer later, it all seems a little crazy. What good is all this, really? Was the trip really organized by God? The following day, you say your goodbyes and head back to Amsterdam. Continuing to pray for the ongoing plight of your new Bulgarian friends, you carry on with life as usual. Until one morning. Reading the newspaper headlines, you nearly choke in your coffee. Only days after your visit to Bulgaria, the body of Dimitrov was stolen from its mausoleum and the government headquarters was burned to the ground. Bulgarian communism quickly collapsed, beginning a bloodless transition towards religious liberty and parliamentary democracy. Welcome to the These Days Podcast. This is Dwayne and Ben. Hello. Coming at you from the Hobbit Hole, Rainforest Oasis, Center for Retreats. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Center for Fun and Religious Studies. That's right. Fun, uh, fun, religious fun. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I think we better center. pull out, pull up. Uh, no, we're having a we're having a great time. We're already having a great time. Welcome mm-hmm. to the episode uh, ten of episode no episode ten of season four 
these days podcast. As always, we're about theology for the people. Yeah, man. Being, uh, what, are we talking totally. about the, the jazzed and unjazzed this year? I can't oh, yeah. I th- well, we yeah. have earlier. Well, yeah. this season we are kind of camping out in Acts chapter 4, talking about the real presence of Jesus the with theologically us. jazzed. Yeah, the theologically jazzed. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so we are talking about Acts chapter 4, pulling out a lot of stuff in there about the uh, the re- the real-life presence of Jesus with us, looking at some of uh, what our forebears, the early followers of Jesus, kind of how they experienced the the way of Jesus and his presence, his resilient presence with them in really interesting and in some kinds difficult times. Uh, and, and today, we are actually going to uh, unpack something that we've sort we're, we're going to sort of talk about something we've talked about before, right? Mm-hmm. But from a little bit different angle, a different lens, if you will, a yes. kaleidoscope, yes. if you want to think of it that way. Uh, we are talking about prayer, but we're going to talk about what happens when we pray in the real resurrected power of Jesus. And that cold open you just heard was about a guy named John Peterson. We picked it up from the book Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. I keep thinking Pete, of Dirty Pete Harry. Gregg, sorry. It's so sorry. Dirty yeah. Harry. Yes. Uh, Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. And uh, I think I think Pete Gregg has some of the best book titles on the market. Oh, yeah. Good has, chapter titles, too. He has one I just got that I haven't read yet called Punk Monk. well that's the one thing if you have great titles but nobody could figure out what it's about yeah yeah but you know these are actually pretty awesome he writes some pretty great books but the story the story that we told in the cold open is about a guy named john peterson uh who uh went went to uh he lived in amsterdam he's an american but he lived in amsterdam um with a, a famous missionary named floyd mcclung in the 80s and then he got had this miraculous experience where God told him to go to Bulgaria. He did. He prayed in the square with this guy that he didn't know uh, that he had just met by going there. And then days later, the communist regime in Bulgaria started to crumble. Would you do that? I know, right? That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but here's a paragraph as Pete Gregg sort of explains the story. He says, Are we to conclude that John's prayer single-handedly triggered the end of, the Bulgar- of Bulgarian communism? Of course not. <laughs> Countless saints had been praying in Sofia for decades. Bulgarians had been campaigning and protesting relentlessly. Politicians and diplomats had worked hard, too. It would be ignorant and arrogant to presume that a few hours of prayer from uh, from a couple of people in the central square had made all the difference. But it would also be foolish to dismiss the significance of John's prayers in the remarkable events that followed, especially when God had assigned him to Sofia so clearly." That's what we're going to talk about today. What happens when we proclaim the Lordship of Jesus, when we follow where uh, he seems to be leading us in prayer, and we pray in the confidence and power of his resurrection, right? Right. Well, and uh, so today we're taking a look at a resurrection prayer, resurrection-powered prayer, if you will, because uh, the story in Acts 4 is just weeks after the resurrection. Uh, it, it may be you know, just a few, we're not told exactly how many, but it's not very long. So they're, they're starting off this uh, whole thing, kind of learning as they go, uh, the, living the way of Jesus, which is what our podcast is all about, or this podcast is all about. Uh, but here, here's the question for the day. Because Jesus' uh, presence and resurrection power, because of that, we have one of the most powerful helps at our disposal, regardless of the outcomes that we think should come from our praying. We, we, we aren't guaranteed specific outcomes, but what we are uh, told is that we can be sure that if we're praying uh, with the kind of resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, then uh, you're seeking to pray into that, 
um, and uh, seeking to have faith in God and just letting him do that, uh, then that will be effective for God's glory and for our good. And that's kind of the attitude. It was more of a, 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 they sort of rested in that idea. I mean, think about this. What's the reason, emotion, or purpose that fuels our praying? And, you know, what do you imagine that we are doing when we pray? What, what are we trying to do? Just get things from God? Or are we joining with him in something far, far bigger and far, far greater? And, and what would it look like to pray off of or from the power of Jesus' resurrection? And uh, in Acts uh, chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 23, the uh, companions of uh, Peter and John, which is basically a, a way of describing the church because they weren't sure what to call themselves. They weren't called the church. They weren't even called Christians yet. They were called people of the way based on Jesus' statement of being the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, but in the middle of that prayer in Acts chapter 4 of twenty-seven, verse 27 to 29, we see them praying in Jesus' resurrection power because they're, they're not praying out of their fears. They're not even praying off of threats. You'll see that when I read this in a second. Uh, but even rather than uh, whether their prayers are going to be answered or not, it, it seems like they're entering sort of the, the stream or entering the movement, entering what Jesus started. And there just seems to be this sense that, hey, we're a part of that as, as they pray. And it, it's a whole different reason for praying, really. But let me read you the verses. This is Acts 4, 27 to 29. It says this, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So they're talking about the crucifixion there. And they did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. In other words, they recognized that none of this got by on God. He knew this was going to happen. None of this got by on Jesus. He knew this was coming. But now, Lord, consider their threats. They, 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 they're now praying out of um, resurrection power in the sense the same kind of prayers that Jesus was praying uh, before he cruci was crucified because they say, now consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And the reality is, is we're leaving, living in a world now that has some pretty extreme atrocities going on and extreme and horrific incidences of violence uh, that has, you know, always, always taken place at some level uh, of society. Uh, you know, Isaiah prophesied that brother would fight against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city fight against city, and kingdom against kingdom. I mean, we can say that that's the, you know, prophecy to the uh, country of Israel, the Old Testament Israel, but it's also uh, plays all the way through up into Revelation that that kind of thing is going to happen. And, you know, in the West, and uh, on our continent specifically, in North America, I mean, chaos is justified on a daily basis. Groups are pilloried for a few bad actors. In other words, groups of people, we're all sort of guilty by association depending on what group we're in, whether it be our politics or uh, even ethnicity or all kinds of things. People are, are lumping, lumped together. And then, then guilt is weaponized. And when we start to feel, you know, that, you know, yeah, you know, I don't have it all together, then it's, it's been weaponized against people. And we're even, uh, it's beginning to scare our allies. I don't know if you heard about that, but you know, a few weeks ago, the French said that they were scared of our culture. They were afraid it was going to come over there. <laughs> but, but virtually every day uh, in the media, we see horrors and warfare and violence and blame and corruption and the deconstruction of morality. But 
Uh, just as physical warfare is a serious global issue, according to the Apostle Paul, so is spiritual warfare. And that seems to be the spirit that these people are praying in. They're not getting all um, bound up in the latest news cycle. They're not getting all bound up in their fears or concerns. They're giving all that to God and saying, God, you're, you're over all this. We just want to be in, in this with you. And um, it's, it's sort of along the lines of what Paul uh, wrote a few decades later in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when he said, for though we live in a world Sorry, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedience to Christ. Obedient to Christ. So spiritual battles won't be won without some spiritual weaponry that Jesus has provided. And as we've already seen, if we use our own weaponry, our own human uh, efforts in that, and our own... Uh, anger or whatever it is, then people in this world will be destroyed because that's that's what's been going on all along. So Peter and John and these early forebears uh, illustrate exactly what Jesus taught us, that in this world you will have trouble, but it need not overwhelm us in a lasting way, and it need not overwhelm our emotions in a lasting way. Uh, the great Welsh preacher, here's the first British uh, Bible person uh, quote of the day, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He made an interesting statement about what life is like in this world as a Christian. And uh, it's this, there's no grosser or greater misrepresentation of the Christian message uh, than that which depicts it as offering, offering a life at, of ease with no battle and struggle at all. Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And, and the point of that, even though he was uh, living 70 years ago or so and making those kind of uh, preaching then, um, and Peter and John, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. Um, the point is, is that today we may be living, uh, the, the, the struggle may be morphing in terms of the spiritual war that's going on or the spiritual struggle that's going on. Uh, it may be morphing in terms of different things that are happening now than they were 70 years ago or 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago, but it's basically the same thing. It's not When we Christians, I think, get into some emotional trouble, particularly when it comes to praying and how should I pray in the midst of all that's going on, is that we start to think, you know, hey, this, is, this has never happened before, and, and God's never, you know, uh, Christians have never had to deal with this before, and God hasn't had to reach in and deal with this before, and the answer really is uh, that's not true. So, uh, and and what's also true is the greatest uh, greatest uh, tool or weapon or help that Jesus has left us is the ability to pray and communicate with Him and join Him in what He's up to in this world. Yeah, that's great. And you know, talking about how the Christian life is a battlefield, uh, or yeah, we how we were born into a world at war. Uh, it, can, it can be kind of discouraging and overwhelming uh -huh. until you realize that uh, we actually have uh, incredible, you can almost say secret weapons against uh, in, in this battlefield, in this war that we wage, um, and, and really taking hold of those uh, tools, those weapons that Jesus has given us uh, is, the way, is the way of hope. And then it becomes a very hopeful thing when we start to realize, oh, this isn't just... 
me in and of myself getting discouraged. There's there's something real going on here. Or oh, it's not just it's not I'm not just being tempted or or, or struggling with this or that because of just me. It's because there's a real enemy and there's a real battle I'm fighting. And it sort of puts the whole thing in perspective when we can grab onto those weapons. Well, the 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 one we're talking about today, of course, is the weapon of prayer. That's what God has given us to uh, to to do battle with. And uh, as uh, as the book of Romans chapter twelve says, we um, we're not to overcome evil by doing evil, but we're we're to overcome it by doing good. And uh, the the first good, the the first thing we do when we start doing good is to just get on our knees and pray, to just invite the Spirit of God in, to submit ourselves to God, and. Um, as we use these weapons, uh, we we find ourselves engaged in a spiritual battle. Uh, this is this is uh, what we just heard Paul say that this is not we don't wage war as the world wages war by trying to overcome evil with evil or slander with slander or anxiety with anxiety or whatever else it is. We don't we don't just fight the world on its own terms. But we use uh, better weapons, higher weapons that God Himself has given us. Um, we find this all over the scriptures. One of the most famous and well recognized places is, of course, in Ephesians six. And uh, in- interestingly, Paul gets very uh, vulnerable about his own life and his spiritual journey. And you know what's funny, Dad? I have mm. a friend. <laughs> I have a friend who uh, we probably meet up a couple times a month just to hang out and catch up on life and talk about the Lord. And every time, I kid you not, every time he brings up Ephesians six, armor of God. Every time we got right? the armor of God. Every time, <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro, armor of God. Yeah. Every time, and it's always a good reminder to me because I'm always like, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah I yeah, forgot. Yeah. That's that's really important. That's good. Uh, so Ephesians six, starting in verse ten. This is a kind of a longer excerpt of scripture. But it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So he's just very matter of fact about (laughs) the devil has schemes. You better be prepared. (laughs) For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and also keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then Paul says, pray also for me, for whenever I speak, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Yeah, Ephesians 6, bro. Yeah, bro. Yeah, armor of God, yeah. bro. You know what's interesting about that, though? I forgot to to mention this. The uh, Paul is describing the armor of a Roman soldier in his day. Yeah, and their sword was only like, you know, eighteen inches to two twenty four inches uh, twenty four inches long. I think. Yeah, and they were when it says stand your ground, they were trained to defend a uh, four uh, four by four square feet of turf against whoever came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's sort of making that metaphor, that parallel yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, and I think the the sort of the overarching thing here is he's saying pray because you're in a war and prayer is your best 
your best tool, your best uh, weapon against the spiritual forces of evil. So, so make sure you're clothing yourself with the armor of God. And we could go through each of those and talk about what each one of them might be about. Um, but the idea is basically stay rooted in what you know to be true about God. Stay true to be stay rooted in the gospel. And then, and in the Word of God, and then make sure you're praying. Pray all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. Pray with all the Lord's people. Pray on all occasions. And he just he says it like ten times in the last two <laughs> verses. Pray, 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 yeah. pray. Because I think he knows how important it is. I think in it's the a bad spot too. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think I think so. Um, yeah, and I think um, this is uh, <laughs> in another place. Paul wrote, and this is uh, I believe it's a, a Dr. Dwayne Tassell paraphrased version. Is that correct? Yes, yes. It's the Dr. Dwayne Tassell. Uh, uh, if if he were to write the the Bible, he would have put. Yeah, it that, that, that's a scary thought, right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and where is this found? This this little paraphrase. Where do we find that in the Bible? Uh, well, it's kind of a conglomeration yeah, of several yeah. things. He's basically Paul says in a couple of places. He says basically the world is unprincipled. It's dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight the battle our battles that way. We never have. We never will. The tools of our trade aren't for making or marketing or manipulation. We don't have to play those games but they are for demolishing an entire massively corrupt uh, culture and the spiritual forces. It pretty that much are says all that in First Corinthians, yeah. Yeah, and the spiritual forces that are behind that culture. Uh, so when we feel the spiritual forces coming at us, when we feel evil pressing in on us, or despair, or discouragement, or all these things coming in at us, we can stand firm and fight with uh, with the uh, the weapons of prayer, the weapons of the gospel, the weapons of scripture. And uh, I think Paul, more than maybe any other New Testament writer, well, it's not true. They all actually talk about this. All the New Testament writers seem to be just take for granted that we live in in a world of spiritual battle. Yeah. And I have to be honest, a lot I think of of uh, the modern Western Christians I know don't go about their faith or think about their faith in in a way as as if it's in a war zone. I know I have to make a conscious effort to remember that I have a spiritual enemy and that I am fighting a spiritual battle at all times. Um, mm. And you know, I don't think that's an accident that people forget that. Uh, remember uh, our, the patron saint of the These Days podcast, C.S. Lewis? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not actually our patron saint. No. Uh, but we're talking to the Pope about that. He, would laugh, a, that he would laugh about that. <laughs> uh, he's in one of his first big bestsellers, The Screwtape Letters, uh, which I was just talking to some friends about the other day. Someone had never read it, and I said, oh, you here, you better read it. Give them my copy. So I am spreading the gospel of C.S. Lewis. Oh, nice. Uh, anyway, um, he says, uh, this is uh, uh, the, the demon screw tape talking. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about... I'm sorry. This is not. This, this is, is C.S. Lewis talking. Yeah, this is in the, the prelude. Or Thank the, you. Uh, this is C.S. Lewis talking. That, yeah. yeah, in the preface, he says there are two equal opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialist or the magician with the same delight. So he's saying we can get overly excited about the spiritual warfare stuff, but the other thing we can do is ignore it completely. And actually, it's interesting in the in the meat of the book, the screw tape letters with these fictional letters between demons. Uh, there's this part where uh, screw tape says, uh, "For the moment, this question has been decided for us by high command," uh, as he calls it. And he says that the the tack for our present era is to basically make humans disbelieve in our existence altogether. 
Hmm. So the idea is human beings running around thinking there's no spiritual evil out there. There's no forces of evil. There's nothing I really have to battle against. And that sort of can seep into our thinking. And so we uh, we have to remember and, and constantly be on our guard against the spiritual forces of evil by uh, making sure we're clothed with the armor of God and then also continuing to pray, to contend in this powerful prayer, that John, a powerful kind of prayer that John and Peter modeled for us in Acts chapter 4. Yeah, and that's the reality is is because it's uh, linked to uh, the thing that changed everything, changed the world, the resurrection, uh, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, um, then uh, what the New Testament seems to offer is the possibility of having prayer that is actually world-changing prayer, whether we fully realize it at the moment or not. I mean, from the Old Testament, uh, true God followers right up through to Christians, uh, through to these days... That's uh, you know that's the description of this moment, these, this cultural these moment. Days. These days, yes, but in a podcast. Uh, but prayer has always been a difference-making thing, and the world uh, a world-changing thing. For example, I ran across this when I was reading Psalms uh, 106, uh, verse 31. Uh, well, the whole psalm uh, in devotions the other day. Phineas, uh, the story shows up in Numbers 25. Uh, that is the book of Numbers, chapter 25, uh, where he intervened and stemmed uh, 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 a serious problem for the children of Israel. And he uh, prayed and asked God uh, to, uh, you know, prayed in faith. And he's the only other one besides Abraham where it says that it was credited to him and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And uh, th there are all kinds of people that throughout um, Scripture who uh, pray that way. And we're looking at, you know, Peter and John and all their uh, friends uh, who were Christians gathering after that they had been released from the Sanhedrin. Uh, but it, over and over again, if you just kind of follow that line of thinking, if you, if you look at all the times <clears throat> prayer had this effect on what was happening, maybe not at the exact moment they prayed for it, but that God used prayer to change. I mean, you could, you could really catalog a lot of Scripture uh, that way. Um, but uh, prayer is a powerful, powerful weapon. And, um, you know, uh, what we're doing is, in a sense, uh, some have called it like standing in the breach when we pray and when we intercede and we seek to do it faithfully. I mean, none of us are going to do it perfectly, and none of our motives are going to be perfect and all of that kind of stuff. When we, when you get down to that kind of stuff, we can get kind of compulsive about it. But I heard of one pastor who ends every single prayer meeting at their church. They have a weekly prayer meeting, and he ends every single one by saying, thank you for praying, you have made a difference. Uh, he doesn't have to prove it, doesn't have to explain it, because the reality is, is that that prayer really does make a difference. And this... This is all because of the real presence of Jesus, which we've been looking at this entire season. Uh, and because of the inevitable question is, what about unanswered prayer? And that's a, a decent and fair question. Um, you know, what about that? Are we still winning this spiritual war when we don't feel like God's answering our question, our prayers or we haven't heard that he's answered our prayers? And the first question is, is what, what does it really mean to be unanswered? You know, uh, you know no can be an answer or you need to wait can be an answer, or there, there are all kinds of, there are a myriad of ways that God could answer. Secondly, is it possible to be engaged in the silence or even uh, the silence of God, that is, or even engaged, uh, engaging the silence for Jesus's good purposes? Is that possible? I mean, engaging the silence is severely counterintuitive for us. 
you know, to, to engage those un, uh, to, in, in those moments with Jesus, and to, uh, then when we don't feel he's answering our prayers or we feel like there is silence, um, you know, there, there's a tremendous uh, p- power and tremendous strength in just staying in there with him and continuing to pray. Uh, a, a good example of a silence that uh, I thought about was uh, quite a few years ago when we were preaching around uh, Easter, I mean, sorry, around Christmas time. I do that every year, mix up the two. But uh, both, both are really big deal if you work in a yeah, church. <laughs> yeah, pretty big deal. Uh, but uh, yeah, but the silence between the God, the Old Testament and New Testament is four hundred years. And you know, you kind of ask yourself, why did God go silent? I mean, He said He was going to Malachi, and then He did. And why? No prophets, stuff like that. What? Why? Well, uh, we don't know exactly why, but we do know that He didn't go away. He still worked in the world. He created a Roman road system in that. 400 years. He created Koine Greek uh, that the New Testament was written in uh, in those years. He created uh, Roman peace. It wasn't always a sweetness and light because the Romans were brutal, but they did put down uh, wars and put down unrest uh, pretty quickly and severely, unfortunately. But the reality of that all is that with those three things, just those three things, it made it possible for the gospel to spread all over the known world. So, you know, we just can't second guess God when uh, because we don't feel like he's answering our prayers or not answering them the way we would like him to but some he's always up to something and our prayers are heard and he's he, we, when we engage in him uh, in, with him in prayer it's more important that we're engaging with him and and, and uh, joining him in whatever asking him to let us join in him in whatever he's up to like these first century Christians we'll see that uh, next week quite clearly uh, what they what they were doing, it's more important that we do that than it is that we get a particular answer to our prayers. Uh, another Peter Grieg book. Uh, what was that one you mentioned before about uh, Dirty Harry? What, what was it again? <laughs> Dirty Glory. Dirty Glory. Yeah, yeah. I got to get that straight because that's not really a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But a uh, new book. Actually, it's a renewed book. It just came out 2020 in a new edition and some uh, additional um, material. I think. Uh, called God on Mute by uh, Peter Craig, which is about you know unanswered prayers. What do we do in, with those? I mean, how do we deal with that? And he has this great quote uh, when he's talking about the spiritual warfare. He says, about six centuries before Paul wrote Ephesians 6, which uh, Ben read earlier, the biblical hero Daniel had an extraordinary encounter with an angel while praying one day. It's a story that teaches us much about the relationship between unanswered prayer and spiritual warfare. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, the angel told Daniel, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, so there was a demonic presence called the prince of the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael... One of the chief princes, that is one of the chief angels, came to help me. This is in Daniel 10, uh, 12 to 13. So this encounter provides a, this is uh, Greg's talking now, this encounter provides a fascinating insight into the battle that goes on when we pray and also into the time lapse that may require our perseverance in prayer that we keep praying. So, uh, you know, be sure that the time lapse isn't the thing that we see uh, as the non-answer, that maybe God just wants us to stay engaged with him while he takes care of the, the mess that needs to be cleaned up out there. That's great. Yeah, and I think it's also good to remember 
that uh, when we pray, one of the great truths of our prayers in the Spirit of God is that we don't pray alone. Uh-huh. Uh, the Bible promises that God, the Spirit of God, is actually praying with mm-hmm. us. This is amazing. Uh, in uh, Romans 8, it says, uh, If Christ is in you, then even through though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, there's that resurrection power, is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because His Spirit lives in you. In the same way, this is verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So it's saying that even as we pray to God, God the Spirit is interceding on our behalf, helping us to pray. In Hebrews 7, it also says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. The resurrected Christ, this is actually the one of the cool things about the, the, the work of Jesus um, called his ascension, which we don't always pay a, bunch, a lot of attention to, but the idea being that Christ went physically, bodily, uh, and alive back to the, the throne room of his Father, back to sit at the right mm-hmm. hand of God, which means that he is currently alive, he is currently uh, giving, making intercession for us. And we know that because as Christ, as we pray in the name of Jesus, and we, as we pr- pray in Christ's name and authority, our prayers are powerful. I think it was Blaise Pascal who said that one of the uh, proofs for him of Jesus's current resurrection is that the demons still obey his name, because he's <laughs> still alive and they're still terrified. Um, but there's this idea that, or there's this truth in the scriptures that Jesus himself is praying on our behalf. Um, and, and as we think about that, we go, oh yeah, man, if I'm really in Jesus' presence and I recognize that Jesus is praying for me, then my p- prayers suddenly take on enormous importance and enormous power. Uh, I think of, uh, this is actually another Pete Gregg got on mute quote about the story in Luke 22. This quote says this, on one occasion, Jesus informs Peter that Satan has requested to quote unquote, sift him like wheat. I have prayed for you, Simon, he says, that your faith may not fail. When Satan is sifting your life, tempting, attacking, and attempting to undermine your faith, sometimes instead of delivering you immediately from evil, Jesus will intercede for you in the midst of your trials. Indeed, the mere fact that you are reading this now, or listening to this now, and still standing in spite of so many trials may well be the answer to Christ's prayers, that your faith may not fail." The idea being that Jesus himself is praying for us, is empowering our prayers, and as we recognize uh, all the things we come through, you know, I think of that verse from Amazing Grace, the hymn, through many dangers, toils, and snares, Mm, I have already come. As we proclaim that and recognize that over our lives, um, we realize that there really is enormous power being exercised on our behalf through prayer. I also love in uh, John 17, when Jesus prays for us, he says uh, to the Father, he says, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I think it was Eugene Peterson who said, with a prayer like that, how could we be anything but secure? Um, And I think as we really look at uh, the power of Christ in our prayers, the power of his resurrection in our prayers, then we can start to sort of relax into prayer a little bit, right? It doesn't become this striving, anxious thing, but we recognize that our prayers have enormous power to transform hearts, but also transform circumstances, and that it's his power, not ours, and we can sort of just ride the wave of his power as we pray. Yeah, This uh, sort of posture helps us experience Jesus' presence, 
even in this stance of childlikeness, you know, we, we, we experience his presence, his power, but it's not this sort of like uh, serious, dour, you know, thing where we're, uh, you know, we're sweating drops of blood in the garden. And J Jesus did that on our behalf. So as we do this, there are times when it becomes really intense, but oftentimes it's just coming with the faith of a child and expecting God to do what he has already done. And what has he already done? Resurrection. It's his efforts, not ours. Exactly. We don't, we don't have efforts. to talk him into anything. We we have a radical expectation that God has already performed acts of resurrection. He will do it again in and through our prayers as we pray for our world, for our families, for our relationships, for our lives, that he will perform acts of resurrection, and it's his his resurrection power at work. We can sort of relax in that and almost really start to enjoy it and start to look around and be like, oh, that happened. We start to have new eyes, and we go, oh, wow, God really stepped in there, and God really stepped in there, and God really stepped in there, and it becomes this exciting daily thing to see where God's resurrection power is moving as we pray it and we, as we, uh, as we call, call it forth in prayer. Um, it, it, it's this sort of thing um, where, you know, adults can sometimes get really humdrum and, and tired about things, but kids, it never gets old. Like, I think of my... I think of my nephews, and I, this happens every time, Dad. This happens every time. Huh. My three-year-old and six-year-old nephew, and my four-year-old nephew, uh, when or is he five now? Is Ark five? Nope. He's, he's four. Well, he will be shortly. Yeah. Um, my my nephews, whenever I start wrestling with them or playing with them, I always think this. Oh, foolish me. I always think, give it five minutes, and then they'll move on to something else. <laughs> and then without fail, 20 minutes later, I'm like, okay, guys, Uncle Ben needs a break. Uncle Ben needs a break. Because they just go, again, 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 again. They want uh, to engage with you. That's right. And there's this there's this sense in which children never lose the joy of, oh, look, there it is again. It is, mm -hmm. There it is again. There it is again. There it is again. Mm -hmm. And as we pray and expect Christ's resurrection power, we start to see him at work everywhere, and we have that sort of again, 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 vitality. This is a quote from another British bulldog, uh, <laughs> Mr. G.K. Chesterton, my favorite, and I love the way he puts this. This is yeah, mostly... This is one in, of my favorites. This is mostly in here for fun, yeah. uh, but it, it really it is a good... It applies. It, it applies. is really a good, or really good description of the attitude of that sort of delight seeing yes. God work everywhere. It says this, because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free... Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> for for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is, is, it pos or it is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. <laughs> I love the way he puts that, and I think we can apply that to resurrection as well. Whenever we see God come through in a resurrection way through our prayers, there's this delight of, wow, do it again, wow, do it again, and it never gets old for God, or in that childlike faith, it never gets old for us. Yeah, that do it again is, is, is so good because it tells us and reminds us what God is up to, that he never gets weary or tired of the warfare. He never uh, loses hope. He never uh, uh, wants to give up. He's, and, and what he's doing while, we're, um, while we maybe can't quite see him from where we are, uh, what he's up to when we pray, uh, he's doing it again. So 
And that's, uh, that's a resilient or um, resurrection metaphor, really, arising. And uh, so we better get some takeaways here. Uh, and uh, Like Chinese takeaway? Uh, well, that's good. We just had some mighty fine ethnic food. That was a yeah. pretty good takeaway. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just want to kind of end this episode by acknowledging that I know some people who listen to this podcast who have had some seemingly faith-stopping, overwhelming things. I mean, uh, some things in their lives that, you know, I've called on the phone or whatever. I, I'm, uh, you know, even though I've had to do that before, it's just so, it's almost overwhelming to me to realize, okay, what do I say? That kind of thing. Those kinds of things. In, in this fallen world, those things happen where sometimes death seems to be in control. And yet, uh, these friends that uh, I'm talking about that uh, I know have listened, I don't know if they're still listening now or not, and that's and not their problem, it's ours, but if that's the case, uh, but their faith is still alive and well today, and it's strong, and, and maybe their faith is a bit more tempered uh, against any arrows of the enemy in the future that he might try to throw, because mm-hmm. they are... Uh, People who stuck with Jesus and stayed with him in the midst of the most difficult, you know, when everything in him is screaming, oh, you know, he's not here, he doesn't care. Uh, and uh, maybe even said some of those things to God that he can handle, uh, but that's made their faith stronger and they've become strong in it. So it's that uh, resurrection cross and resurrection power. You know, we mentioned as earlier about the ascension. In, in the early days, the Christians... Uh, believed that the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension were all a part of the same event, the same act, that that was Jesus' work that he came to complete. And um, we're going to quote N.T. Wright here one more time uh, in this, kind of wrap this up to kind of bring that centering to the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Wright says, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the powers and authorities are beaten, beaten, defeated lot, so that no one who belongs to Jesus need be overawed by them again. So we don't need to be overawed, as uh, That's great. our favorite Brit puts it, uh, <laughs> by those things again. You know what that reminds me of, actually? What's that? Uh, it's almost, you could almost say this is a paraphrase of that quote, but yeah. I listened to the, the Dan Allender, Allender Center podcast, and oh, they yeah? just did one about <laughs> the li- living the resurrection story or something right after Easter. Yeah. And he, he said, celebrating Easter is and the resurrection is basically like our, uh, like, uh, what do you say? It's basically like us having a party and just saying, death, you fool, you sucker. <laughs> <laughs> that was Renee's way of putting it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Well, in the meantime, I think it might be that time. What time is that, Dad? Books and stuff. Books and stuff. Books and stuff. You got any books or stuff, Ben? Hey, you know what? I got two stuffs. Okay, go. All right. Well, we mentioned mentioned a Pete Gregg book this week, and I've mentioned one before. And uh, I, if you want kind of a beginning place to pray, you can look at their website. Pete Gregg founded Twenty Four Seven Prayer along with a bunch of other people. Yeah, we did a um, cold open about that. That's right. Yeah, and you can just look up Twenty Four Seven Prayer online. But they have this really cool thing. It's a smartphone app. If you have a smartphone, uh, most of us do. And it is called Lectio 365, and it's a mm. very simple app to help you pray on a daily basis. Cool. Lectio 365. The other thing I would recommend is, uh, you've 
heard me mention John Eldridge a fair bit recently. Uh, John Eldridge and the folks over at Wild at Heart have a great podcast called John Eldridge and Wild at Heart. And in 2019, they did a very good series on spiritual warfare. It's not weird. It's not over the top. It's just very practical and scripture-based. And also, very recently, this year, um, this last... uh, couple months ago, I think, actually, back in maybe February, they did a, a um, series called, uh, a two-part series on their podcast called Enforcing the Kingdom, and it's also about spiritual warfare through prayer. So I recommend checking both those things out. Excellent. Well, I'm going to uh, recommend a Pete Gregg thing, too, uh, which you kind of knew. You know, already heard me. We quoted from it twice, I think, tonight. Uh, it's that new book, uh, God on Mute. Uh, actually, it's an old book, revised and renewed, uh, came out in 2020, uh, and or maybe it was 2015, I don't remember, but God on mute, uh, and it's about un, you know, dealing with unanswered prayer. And I would say this f- for people, this, is, this book is, I would recommend, especially for those who have really gone through the war, quote unquote, uh, because there are some intense, I would even say gut-wrenching stories of people in prayer in this book. Uh, I, I haven't read it all yet. Uh, victorious prayer, uh, victorious uh, situations ultimately. Uh, but it's just a really helpful book and it's highly recommended by a lot of people. We could list through the names of the, the people that uh, say, hey, you really should read this book. But, and you'd recognize many of them. But the, the reality is, is that it's a powerful, powerful book about, you know, what do you do when it, you know, just, you know, where is prayer when it doesn't seem like God's answering and so forth? The other one is we've quoted uh, screw tape letters, I think, three times in the last uh, three podcasts or something to that effect. Um, did I talk about the recording of that before? Uh, the You mean the audio the, drama one? Yes. No. Okay. Well, here is a recommendation. I know you, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, they're on CD form. This shows you how old that is. Of course, this... You can get it, you can get it on Audible, too, oh, oh, and, and on iTunes, Audible? I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, Focus on the Family has done screw tape letters uh, in, in uh, audio form in a radio drama style, okay, like they do their, some of their other stuff. And the cool thing is, is that Andy Serkis and a couple of other well-known uh, British actors, by the way, but Andy, uh, Andy's uh, Australian, I believe, but Andy Serkis, who plays Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, does the voice of screw tapes. And man, I tell you what, he is the creepiest sound and voice. I was, I, I, uh, I would not recommend this for young children. Let's just put it that way. But it is a powerful uh, uh, play to listen to. And they pretty well quote through the book. And uh, I listened to it while I was remodeling uh, the basement of our house. Okay. And it even gave me chills. Oh, know? yeah. Had to stop and kind of pause for a minute. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was, it was good. It was a good kind of chill. So, Well, I, I think that's a wrap, Ben. Here that might be a wrap. And you know what else? For what? Um, you know, I don't know that our listeners know quite how nerdy we are about this, but... Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you know how we're wearing matching cardigan sweaters whenever you, we record this. Yes, but yes, yes I think yeah. the weather changed, and it's actually getting a little too hot to wear these, Dad. Are you I get, think are it you is. That too? I think it's going to be eighty degrees this Ooh, weekend. It's ben. getting warm. Yeah, it's I'm getting really, really warm. I'm feeling. I think we might have to. I go thought for, I was just on fire. No, for I think prayer, we might need ben. to go for some these days podcast recording board shorts instead of these sweaters. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we won't be standing up for the cameras. All right. Well. Uh, With that, a wonderful picture in your mind's eye. Uh, We'll be going now.